Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville's podcast. Today, we will listen to Tim Cash's message, Alone. If you go back and study the Genesis account, if you will, of creation, you'll see repeatedly God making this statement in the first two chapters. You'll see God saying, and that is good. You'll, you'll see the light being created, moon, sun, stars, and you'll see God saying, that, that, that's good. And, and then you'll see him creating waters, rivers, oceans, and, and, and he says, man, that is good. And even the plants and the trees and the, the vegetation, ah, oh, that is good. Animals, etc. that is good. Then you get to Genesis 2.18, and for the first time you read this statement, God says, it is not good. It's like, oh, hold on. You, you've been like really like affirming everything that you've created. And you've created man in your image. And, but now you say it is not good. Yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. Which implies, and the implication is, man has been created for the purpose of relationship and community. It's not good for man to be absent of relationship and community. Now, if you do a study, there's a huge difference in being alone and being lonely. Being alone means that you're not with other people. It implies solitude. But being lonely describes a feeling of sadness for not having connection and community. Alone, lonely. Being alone can lead you to experience God's presence. It's not an escape from, but it's a running to be with God so that you can embrace God and enjoy God. Loneliness is running from the presence of people. Loneliness is running from the pressures of life. Loneliness is to avoid, to escape, and to withdraw. It is not good to be alone, meaning it's not good for you not to have community and relationship and connectivity, but I can tell you it is absolutely detrimental for you not to have community and relationship. Isolation is a tool of the predator. And the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy wants to pick us apart. But I believe one of the ways we make ourselves so vulnerable is by isolation, by a lack of connectivity, by a lack of relationship. Loneliness for people that are there, it feels like complete abandonment. It feels like rejection. It feels like that you're in that place at times where you're weeping and you're hurting and, and, and tears are flooding your face and, 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 and you really conclude that no one can see me and no one cares about me, thus I must not really matter. Being lonely can lead you to all types of addictions and distractions and crazy thoughts when you get out of proximity of community and and you're lonely and and you isolate man you can really battle a lot of crazy mind monsters R reality is you can be a you can be with a lot of people and still be lonely you can come and sit in a crowded church and still feel lonely you can work around a lot of people 
and, and not be close to any of them. Because here, here, here's the thing. Companionship does not equal relational intimacy. You, you can be around and not be close. You can be a stay-at-home mom and be battling feelings of loneliness like you wouldn't believe. You, you, you may be a successful businessman and you, you climb to the top of the ladder and other people look at you and go, he's arrived and you don't have anyone that you open up to and you're doing island life. You find yourself living on an, an island by yourself and you present a persona that's inconsistent with your heart's reality. And you've got to ask the question, I believe, why are so many people lonely today? We, we live in a world that's got billions of people, and we live even here in Loganville. And if you get around like DeKalb and, and Fulton and Cobb and Gwinnett, and there, there's millions and millions of people. Why are people so lonely? And I think one of the major reasons is because for so many, they base their self-worth on the opinions of others and not God's truth. And, and we become addicted to the approval and the attention and the applause of, of people. And when we do that, it's detrimental. When we do that, it's such a dead-end street. The four laws of the heart, love, acceptance, and worth, and security for girls and significance for guys can only be found in Christ and Christ alone. But when we open ourselves up to the horizontal and we're wanting people to, to affirm us and tell us that we matter, we're looking in the wrong direction. We're looking here and not there. And, 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 and maybe for some people, you, you sit here today and you go, I just refuse to, to value and love myself. I, I don't love me. If you ask me about me, I will tell you all the flaws about me. And I will, I will tell you when I look in the mirror, I can tell you all the things I don't like about me. And if I don't like me, then there's no way anyone else will like me. And you stay stuck and you can get to a place of loneliness and isolation. And, 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 and maybe for some... You, you walk in here and you can't forgive yourself for your past mistakes. There's, there's failures of yesterday that still haunt you. And, and if, if you got gut level honest, you would say, I'm just tied to my past. I'm tied to yesterday. Uh, I, I live so corrupt and so carnal and so jacked up and I, I can't move forward. You, you, you won't let go of the past. And, and there's some people that you go, I, I, I feel lonely because I, I just don't know how or I refuse to really share how I feel. I suppress my emotions. I never address my true thinking. And I, I, I just, I'm not going to go there. If I really opened up and talked about the real me, man, I would look like the freak of the week and nobody would want to be around me. So I just stay away from it. Or for some people, they're lonely because it's like, man, you just got to understand my life just really doesn't have any meaning or value or purpose to it. Do you realize that's a, an epidemic and a true pandemic of what's happening in our culture today? And you look at it and go, oh, there's so many lonely people. And, and as you pay attention to culture, there's so many other things, I believe, that contribute to this you start to look at the breakdown of the family and people go through divorces 
and that nasty divorce and what happened to you, it just shuts you down. Relationships get all hijacked and, and jacked up and, and twisted. And there's so much collateral damage. And, and, and you feel like you're wearing the scarlet D all the time. And you're like, we isolate and start to feel lonely. If you're living in a dysfunctional marriage today, there is a great chance you feel, you feel lonely Another contributing thing, even in our culture today, if you pay attention to it, is people move. We live in a very transient culture. And if you look back some 40, 50 years ago, you had people staying in the same place their entire life, generations being born 100 years ago. People just didn't move all over the place. They, this is where I'm from, and this is where I kind of stay. And now because of people being so transient, they become slippery, and they're moving here and moving there. And about the time somebody starts to get to know them or they're about to be exposed, they've got to pick it up and go somewhere else. You look at today how... Many people you meet, and they're just workaholics, uh, and they're grinding it out hour after hour, and they just don't make room whatsoever for relationships. They make no room to connect. They're, they're, they're on that fatiguing treadmill of being a workaholic, and they're, they're, I'm just too busy. Man, we're going to speak into that over the next week's. I think another thing that has hijacked this in our culture that has created like some deep wounds and loneliness is the influence of social media because you've got all these people that present this image and persona of, of an exaggerated me and it's not who they are and they don't like who they are and they don't know how to be who they are so they present this image out there and, and all of a sudden they, they want somebody to notice them but I can tell you that Social media does not produce relational intimacy. And all of a sudden you put it out there and somebody don't like it or somebody makes a comment against you and all of a sudden your feelings get hurt and, and, and you tank again. That, 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 that is so huge in our day with the dopamine rushes and all this stuff that people get. And you go, man, they're just lonely. They isolate and, and they feel like, man, do I even matter? And, and reality is we all know people that are hurting that feel lonely and, and you might be here today and you're like, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm, I'm lonely. And if you get gut level honest and you really start to pay attention to the way Jesus did ministry, you would say this, we all need to be in healthy community and we all benefit from being known and we all benefit from from being honest and open about who we truly are if we get gut level honest it is not good to avoid relationships it's not good to dispose of relationships it's not good not to be in community it's not good to escape and run and withdraw and isolate and justify why we hide it's not good it's not good it's not good so you've got to ask the question, how do we love our neighbor who is lonely? How, how do we love those that appear to maybe have the stiff arm out and they don't want you to get close to them, but you look at them and you know deep down inside that they're, they're just ruined bones and a wreckage deep down inside. How do we love our neighbor who is lonely? There, there's three observations I want to make from the life of Jesus. I was, I was pondering this, thinking about 
What did we learn from our Savior and our Master and our Teacher and our Lord? I will tell you the first thing is this. Please hear me. We must understand the power of meaningful touch. We, we've got to understand the power of, of meaningful touch. In Matthew chapter 8, a leper came to Jesus. A leper came to Jesus and bowed down before him. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches the leper and he says, I'm willing. Be clean. I want you to think about something. Leprosy was awful. If you go back and study biblical uh, times, it was one of the most contagious diseases of all time. It was, it was brutal. And, and if a person came down with leprosy, a leper was despised. They, they were not allowed to live in community, even with their own family. And if they ever went anywhere out in public, you study it. Maybe this is where this mindset came from. But they were forced to social distance, and they would have to maintain at least six foot of distancing. That, that's what happened with a leper. But it wasn't just social distancing. It was shame distancing. And that's what kind of breaks our heart at times when we start to look at it, right? They, they were not allowed to even be around their family they were excluded, and, and, and a person with leprosy had about a 10-year, maybe shelf life if they, if they lived maxed out, 2 to 10 maybe, and they lived in this community with other lepers, and they either stayed there until they got better or they stayed there until they died. Le leprosy, it absolutely... Uh, it created all this muscle ache, joint fatigue, exhaustion of the body. When you study what a person with leprosy went through back then, it was, it was awful. They didn't stand in line for this. This was not because of reckless behavior of just like drinking and doing drugs. This is a sickness that they got. They didn't want it. But when they got it, the community around them kind of shunned them and shamed them. I mean, you, you go back and look at pictures of people with leprosy in that day, and this rash would break out all over, these big lumps of infection, and pus would ooze out, and it, it was awful. It was a nasty disease, and uh, their vocal cords would deteriorate even to the point where they couldn't talk. They would lose all sensation of feeling. Uh, if they touched something hot, they didn't even know it was hot because of the nerves dying. And, and, and they didn't even look human any longer. They looked so deformed. You, do, do you understand what we're dealing with? And so the leper comes to Jesus, and he, he doesn't even ask a question. He just makes a statement. He, he didn't say, hey, do you see me over here? Hey, hey, would you spend time with me? He, he doesn't even ask Jesus any of that. He just makes a statement. He says, hey, Lord, if, if you're willing, you can make me whole. You, you can make me clean. He knew what Jesus could do. And so he doesn't pose a question. He makes a statement. And when you read it, please don't miss this. The scripture says that Jesus reached out and 
touched him. And he says, I'm willing. Be clean. Jesus touches the unclean, the, the diseased, the, the loner, the infected, the shunned, the shamed. He, he touched him. He touched him. And, and for so many in our culture today, we, we've lost our freaking minds. If a person came to you today as a leper, and they're like, would you hug me? Would you touch me? Would you pray over me? Bro, I will. But we're going to have to keep a little distance. Do you hear me? I promise you, if there would have been a Jerusalem CDC, Jesus violated it in that moment. Jesus, if you were willing, and that's where we're at today. Do you have COVID? Have you been tested? Are you running a fever? And then here's the crazy thing. Jesus did not have to touch the guy to bring about healing in his life. We read later when Lazarus has died that Jesus just said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus could have spoken the word and immediately he could have been healed. But you do, you've got to ask the question, why did Jesus touch the diseased? Why did he touch the infected? Why did he touch this guy that was so sick? Because maybe leprosy was not his deepest issue. Maybe it was loneliness. Maybe it was loneliness. Because a life of rejection and shame sometimes needs a human touch. Brennan Manning in his book, The Furious Longing of God, he told a powerful story about a woman by the name of Yolanda, and she lived in the only leper community in America. Listen to Brennan Manning share this story. He says, on one of my trips there to this leper community, I was met by the head nurse, and she asked Brennan, can you come quick and pray for Yolanda? She's dying. So I went into her room, and I sat on the edge of her bed. Before leprosy, Yolanda was a beautiful 32-year-old woman. Now, five years later, her mouth was severely contorted, both ears swollen. Her scarred face was hideous. She had no fingers on either hand. And when she was diagnosed with leprosy, her husband divorced her and would not allow their two sons to visit their mother. It had been years since she had seen her boys, and Yolanda was dying, abandoned, and she was seen as insignificant. I anointed her with oil, and I prayed over her. Then as I turned around to put the top back on the oil, the room was filled with a brilliant light. It had been raining when I came in. I, I didn't even look up, but I prayed, thanks, Abba, for the sunshine. Maybe this will cheer her up. As I turned to look at Yolanda, her face was like a, a sunburst over the mountains, a thousand sunbeams streaming out of her face, so bright I had to show my face. 
I said, Yolanda, you appear to be very happy. Will you tell me why you're so happy? She replied, yes. The Abba of Jesus just told me that he would take me home today. Abba said, Yolanda, come now, my love. My lovely one, come. Winter has passed. The snows are gone. The flowers appear in the land. The season of joyful songs has come. Come now, my love. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my lovely one. Come. Yolanda was illiterate. Yolanda could not read. And Yolanda, filled with the Holy Spirit, was quoting from the book of the Song of Solomon when she said that. Come, my lovely one, come. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and he made me whole. I want you to think about something. This is true. There's people that come onto this campus every Sunday. And there's people that come here to church on Sunday mornings and will even engage in a small group. And they come here because... This may be the only place during the week that they get a hug or a high five or a handshake or a meaningful touch. Do you realize that? Do you realize some people are so hurt and just downcast? Do you know what we believe we believe every story matters, but we believe that people flourish in community. We believe that proximity grows us, it stretches us, it encourages us, it gets us out of our comfort zone to find those that are hurting. Uh, when you start to look at it, isolation, it's a violation of our existence. That's not how God wired us to be. It's not good to be alone, and it's terrible to be lonely because I made you for a relationship. I can tell you right now, a meaningful touch or a meaningful hug, can act, it can actually transform somebody's life, not just their day, not the, just their minute. And we're not going to violate your space, and, and, and we're not going to violate your boundaries. But if you need a hug... COVID or not, we're going to hug you. Sick or not sick, we're going to hug you. We're going to anoint you with oil, and we're going to lay hands on you and pray over you. Not because we're trying to be reckless, but because we're trying to model the gospel. Do you realize there's so much power in meaningful touch. Three and a half weeks ago when my friend and my sister Amy suffered that aneurysm and she was transported from Piedmont Walton down to Emory. 
Kevin had called me that night, her husband. We were praying, interceding. Barb and I got up that next morning at about 4.30 and jumped in the car and headed down to Emory. When we get there, I texted Kevin and I said, we're here. Amy is suffering. Amy has gone through major trauma. And I can tell you this, Kevin, we're here. He was back in the room with Amy. We were standing out in this waiting area when he opened the door to come out of that Nero ICU area and he saw us. He started sobbing his eyes out. And he came over and he just grabbed Barb. And with his head on Barb's shoulder, he just began to sob. The love of his life, his bride. She's knocked down. What's going to happen? We don't know. And I can tell you for five minutes, he sobbed. And for five minutes, she held him. I looked, and I'm like, after about a minute, I'm like, this dude, man, he is so crushed. I stood behind him and massaged his shoulders, and he sobbed, and he sobbed. We made our way out of the hallway and went into this little waiting room, and we sat there, Barb, and for the next two hours, with your arm around him and me sitting in front with my hand on his knee, he just cried. He just cried. You know what he needed? He just needed a touch. He didn't need a sermon. He didn't need a verse. He, he, didn't, he didn't need anything other than somebody's here that loves us and that we love. Please continue to pray for our sister Amy. She's still there. It's still a battle. But I can tell you sometimes the most meaningful thing you can do to a person is just to be available. And if they want to cry, Whatever. And if you would take Jesus' statement here and this would become your prayer, Lord, I'm willing. Hey, hey, hey. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I'm willing. I'm willing, into, I'm willing to step into your hurt. I'm willing to step into your heartache. I'm willing to step into your mess. I, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to extend the goodness of God. Here's a second observation from the life of Jesus. This is all simple. The power of touch. The second thing I would tell you is this. Listen to people's hearts, not just their words. Most people acknowledge or vaguely listen for the purpose of being able to speak themselves. We don't listen for the purpose of being able to hear the heart of another person. And if we're truthful, Michelle, all of us just want somebody to hear our hearts whether we're having a mountaintop experience or whether we're pitting out in the valley. If you look at Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been crucified. It's a very interesting text. Here's an interesting observation for you today. Jesus has been crucified. We read the story about these two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus. We call them the Emmaus brothers, if you will. But these two guys are walking along this road, heading to Emmaus, and they're depressed, and they're defeated, and they're lonely, and they're just so knocked down. They had placed their hope in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Everything they had hoped for appears now to be gone. And, and 
Unbeknownst to them, the risen Christ appears and starts to walk alongside with them. And they don't even recognize who Jesus is. When you study the scripture, they're just walking. They're down. They're hurting. And they had no clue it was Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus inserts himself into the conversation and he goes, what what are you guys discussing? What what are y'all talking about? They're downcast. They're defeated. Their hope appears to be gone. And one of them said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have been happening here over the last few days. And Jesus could have said, I'm the one you're talking about. I am he. I am the only one that really knows what has happened over the last few days, but he didn't. He, he didn't. He just listened. And he said, uh, uh, what, what, what things? Again, you've got to ask questions, right? You've got to ask the question, why would Jesus touch the leper? You've got to ask the question, why did Jesus not reveal himself? Well, why, Jesus, I mean, you could have just show-stopped that one right there. You could have turned sadness to gladness like that. And here's what I think. Here's what I think. In the midst of heartbreak, sometimes we need to know that there's someone who cares enough that will say, hey, I'll I'll walk with you. I'll I'll listen to you. I'll pray for you. You you see, the temptation, because we don't like hurting, we don't like grieving, we don't like suffering, we don't like pain, and, and so when a person goes through something traumatic or whatever is going on, I think a lot of times the reason we talk and it's like, well, God is up to something good and all things work together for the good. And and we try to give answers because we don't know how to hurt and feel ourselves. And all of a sudden we encounter somebody else that's hurting and experiencing some type of pain and we're just going to dismiss it because we've got the answer. Jesus had the answer. He's like, man, these dudes need to process their struggle. And I think that's the hard thing for us at times is when we see something going on, we want to give the answer. Hey, I can fix you. I use the acrostic, the acrostic lips, L-I-P-S, and I would encourage you to, to ponder this one. But when you get into a conversation with another person, practice listening L, listen, listen. You may then be permitted to inquire, hey man, so how is she doing? How is she feeling? Just, you might be able to inquire, but just listen. Then you process. What are they saying? What's their heart, not their words? And then you listen and you inquire and you process and you listen and you inquire and then you process. And then, then, then share only if you are convinced the Holy Spirit is giving you permission to do so. You don't, don't, don't speak when spoken to. Learn to speak when spoken through. 
God's given me permission to speak into this space. What, what do we know about hurting people? What do we know about the universal language? We know it's suffering, and we know that every person we encounter has got some type of pain or tragedy or trauma that they're working through. And the greatest thing we can do is say, how are you doing? I'll walk with you. Third point, I would tell you this. Meaningful touch can transform a life. A listening ear, I know even Chapman wrote that the five love languages, talking about touch and time and words and acts of service and, and gifts are great. I, I, I would say, Chapman, we've got to have listening is one of the five love languages. We need to add one more and make it six, if not add a couple more. Because people, when you listen to them, they're... They can breathe a little bit. They feel like somebody's entering in, carrying the burdens with them. Third point is this, just invest time with other people. If you go back and read that story in Matthew 8 where the leper comes, there's so many things happening in that chapter. Jesus' life was one flooded with interruptions. He made himself available to be interrupted, and he made himself available to take time with others. And can I tell you, please listen to me, do I think it's important to plan because planning to fail is failing to plan, but, but can I tell you, sometimes our schedules and agendas need to be flushed down the toilet. We get so constricted and restricted that we don't even embrace the moment of the now because we're consumed with where our next scheduled appointment is. And when people feel like they can open up and just look at you and just talk to you and you're like, hold on, the Lord is doing something in this space. I'm not going to be negligent, but ho hold on, man. You're opening up. Benji, dude, it's going to be about another hour before I get there. I'm in the middle of a God thing. I'll tell you about it. Guess what? If that person is walking in the Spirit, they don't want you not obeying the Spirit because you've got something on your stinking calendar. You know it, Jeff. When you're you're working and people start opening up. I'm here just to fix a faucet and all of a sudden they start opening up. And it's like, throw this away. What time is it? Who cares? It's time that God is doing something in the moment that I can't walk away from or ignore. I stand here today because God took time to listen to me and touch me. He wasn't in a hurry with me. Even in my reckless rebellion, he pursued me and he took time. And yes, I echo that he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me. And now he's invited me to go out with meaningful touch to others. I would write this down. I would write this down. Who do you know that needs to experience the love of Jesus? Who do you know today that needs just a meaningful touch from the Savior? Who do you know? 
that has isolated, that's living with escape, whose life is flooded with distractions and all kinds of chaos. And you're like, they're hurting so bad, nobody even knows them. Jesus said, hey, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to share the gospel. I want you to share your faith and I want you to extend love and kindness and I want you to make disciples. That's what I want you to do. 1 Peter 3.15 says, sanctify, set apart. Christ is Lord. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. It's like, so why are we so reluctant and why are we so hesitant in this culture to share our faith and to extend the love of Christ and to listen to a, a broken heart? But why? And for some people, you go, I, I'm just afraid. I, I battle fear and these mind monsters. I'm just afraid to do it. Why? Just, I promise you, once you step into it, somehow the Holy Spirit will give you the strength and power to be in that moment. You go, all, any of us that have ever stepped out of our comfort zone and safe zone and engaged with people that were hurting, there was a first time we did it and we were scared. We had to overcome fear. We had to overcome mind monsters. We, we, we didn't think we could do it. Another thing is, it's like, well, maybe if I read one more book or take another class, I just don't feel qualified. Really, God doesn't use the qualified. He uses the sanctified, those who are set apart saying, I'm, I'm willing. And, and, and you don't need a degree and you don't need to be an expert and you don't need to have all the answers. I promise you, all you got to do, like Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me. All you got to do is say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. When Sue stepped in to start doing foster care ministry here, it was like, Sue, you know everything about foster care, and you know everything about foster care families. And, no, she didn't. She goes, I'll step in there and start ministering. Is she learning every day of how to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that community? I'm so proud of Sue. But she goes, I'll do it. She don't have all the answers. She don't have a PhD, master's, or even a BS in how to deal with foster ministry. She don't have it. She said, I'll do it. And for a lot of people, it's like, Tim, I, I, I want to speak to that person, but I don't want to come across too pushy. That person is lost on their way to hell. What, where are you going to push them to? There's no such thing as like hell one and hell two and hell three. They're on their way to hell. Step into the space and love on them. I don't, I don't want to be too pushy. Then step into it and be too pulley. Pull them out of their mess. Touch them. Grab them. Be a part of the rescue. And, and, and for some people, it's, well, I, once upon a time when I first got saved, man, I was a part of, of doing some outreach and I would do mission trips and I, I even did some evangelism stuff and I ain't gonna lie to you, bro, I just got complacent. You got complacent. Yeah, yeah I kind of identify with John, man, when he writes to that church in Ephesus of how they lost their first love. I've allowed hedonism and pleasure and distractions, man. I, 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 I would, I, I would serve, but, but I, I, 
I've got to be at the ball game tonight, and I, I've got to go over here, and I've got. And do you realize we give ourselves and our time to so many different things that have no eternal value? And you know I'm not dogging that because I enjoy it. And I'm not saying I enjoy it because I can justify it. But I'm like, it's okay. It's okay to be at a ball game, but love people. It's okay to be at the hospital, but love people. It's okay to be, it's okay to be wherever for the most part, right? I mean, there's some bad spots that God doesn't want us in, but a lot of places are neutral. Just hang out. Uh, just, I'm too complacent. Hear me, hear me. I'm going to wrap it up. Our God is a God of nearness. Our God is close. He's in proximity. And our God is a God of communion. Being present with God, as Nick talked about last week in such a beautiful way, when you're present with God, it really does allow you to be present with others. When you study the life of our Savior and our Master and our Lord, Jesus loves people. He sees people. He listens to people. He desires to touch and transform people. That's what he desires to do. And so I close you with maybe you came in here today and you go, that's me, dude. I feel lost and lonely. You don't have to stay there. Maybe you've never really trusted the love and the grace of Jesus to be sufficient and enough. And you would say, you know what? He's been kind and tender with me. He's been pursuing me. He's been wooing me. But I, I haven't stepped into surrender yet. I would encourage you to step into surrender. I would tell you today is the day of salvation. Even as the psalmist said, I would, I would encourage you to receive God's salvation. Get at peace with God. Get into the presence of God. Start doing communion with God. I'll lead you in a prayer in a bit, but basically all you've got to do is say, God, I need you to save me from me and save me to you. I repent. I want you to make me the person you want me to be. And, and then I would say to those who know the Lord, who have walked with Jesus for a while, but maybe have become stale and stagnant and complacent, I, I would tell you this. I would encourage you to pray and just say, Lord, I am willing. I'm willing to enter into the pain and heartache with others. I'm willing to get messy. I'm willing to get into the grind. Lord, you've got permission to use me ever how you want to use me. You don't have to consult with me before you use me. I wouldn't make that my prayer. It's like, Lord, show me who I'm to connect with. Show me who I'm to listen to today, who I'm to listen to this week. Lord, show me where it's appropriate to extend and even God-driven to extend a meaningful touch. Lord, who, who's, whose pain am I supposed to carry? Who, who, who needs to lay a weeping, hurting head on my shoulder? Where am I supposed to be? Who will I invest in this week? Am I willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus? I would tell you, I'm willing. Use me. Let's pray.